This week's podcast brought to you by Neeler Sealers. This past weekend, we were at a girls' high school basketball game. All of our kids were there, including our eight-year-old. And anyone who's been to a girls' high school basketball game knows that there are a lot of violations. There are fouls being called. There are travels. There are just lots and lots of reasons for the referee to blow the whistle. And nearing the end of the game, our eight-year-old looked at us and said, it's like this is a whistle factory and they have to test out all the whistles. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. One of the odds and ends that has been here uh, on a notepad on the TV tray where we bolt the microphones to and don't look at during the week between podcasts is this note number retired. Your number is being retired at UConn. We never talked about this. They announced it a couple of weeks ago. It hasn't happened yet. It's happening in February or March. March, yeah. They're presumably going to hoist some number to the rafters. Tell us, what number did you wear? I'm just kidding. You wore number 50, um, but it's pretty cool. No, yes? this 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 is really, really cool. UConn has never retired a number before. They have something called the Ring of Honor, or they don't call it the Ring of Honor. They call it the... Um, Huskies of Huskies Honor. Huskies of Honor, yeah. You're thinking of the, the New York Dallas Liberty. Cowboys. No, the New York Liberty has a ring of honor. The UConn has a Huskies of Honor. If you're a first-team All-American, you go up on the Huskies of Honor. Well, they've had so many first-team All-Americans that, you know, there's so many great players that are up on the wall in Gamble Pavilion as part of the Huskies of Honor. So Their, their banners are up on the wall, banners, I should yeah. say. Yeah, they, they are not. So anyway, Ray Allen and I will both have our numbers retired, and – I'm, I, it's just really, really cool. I'm super excited about it. But what one thing that's interesting about it for me is I wore number 50. And no one since I graduated has worn number 50. Like Diana Taurasi wore number three. Lots and lots of players have worn number three since then. Jen Rosati was 21. I mean, these are iconic but, but, women's but basketball players. Sue Bird is 10. The, but, the, 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 I mean, the notion of wearing number three after Diana Taurasi has worn it is it's it's – it's but, quite, it's been, uh, but great players have worn it. Tiffany I, Hayes I wore it. Morgan that. Tuck wore it. Like, these are really, really good players who've con- who have then gone into the Huskies of Honor. I, anyway, I don't believe anybody will be wearing it. Once she's a, in the Hall of Fame. Because, exactly. of course, it will then be retired, which will be weird to have a number retired that people wore after you. Anyway, no one has ever worn number 50. Emeka Okafor, the great men's player, wore it um, for the UConn men. But no woman has ever worn number 50 because it's not a desirable number. It's like Carol Walters wore 52. No one, I don't think, has worn 52 since then. Why would they? 52 is a terrible number. 50 is a great number, but just no one has worn it. So I just had the good fortune of choosing a number that no one else would ever want. So no one else will ever wear it. Well, we wish it a very happy retirement in the Boca del Vista of the Gample rafters wherever it ends up. Am I right? I don't know how they're going to find any room in the Gample rafters. Like anybody who's been to Gample what, what, Pavilion, what they should do. There's no room left. What there's they, so many banners. What there's they so do. many numbers. There's so many everything. Let me make a humble suggestion to the University of Connecticut. 
you can you can get this to the powers that be there. A motorized dry cleaning rack in the rafters that just it just rotates. Continues to circle. Yeah, continues to circle. So only only a quarter of it is visible. And you just see you know, you just see a rotating number of banners. And what they should do before each game, they should push the button and it rotates and then those are the numbers that are that are visible for right. that particular it, game. All of the banners are in dry cleaning bags. Right. <laughs> all of them extra starch. I, I like this idea of yours. Last night was our favorite night of the year, my favorite night of the year anyway, when the kids have their Christmas pageant, school Christmas pageant at their K through eight school. It's lovely. I, it's, it was once again a lovely evening. It was a lovely evening. Wasn't it was it? a lovely evening. Yeah, I always look forward to it as well. It's like a little over an hour long. Every grade, K through eight, sings a song. The chorus sings a few songs. They have a little pageant as part of it. You're, it's a it's a service though, so they don't let you clap until the very end of it. Everyone, you know, wants to clap after. You know, you see a bunch of cute kindergartners singing a song. They sound great. But you're not allowed to clap because this pageant happens in the church. And uh, Please hold your applause to the end, I think, yes. is the, what they say during the death reel at the Oscars. <laughs> Actually, this one um, was pretty good because usually you have one or two rogue parents who start clapping anyway. I don't think we had a single parent start clapping until uh, until we were given permission at the end of it. It's like at graduation, high school graduation, they say hold your applause to the end. But people always cheer for their, their kid or their cousin. Or their buddy right. as they grab their diploma. Right. And and what I look forward to almost as much as less it's called lessons and carols, is every year you bust out the worst <laughs> joke ever. Ever. Oh actually it's 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 a holiday tradition and I, I usually try to find our friend Mike and say it to him, but last night he was sitting on the other side of the aisle, so I had to text it to him just before it started and that is I've learned a few lessons from a few carols over the years. <laughs> the first time you said it, I don't know however many years ago it was, it was relatively funny. But every year since then, every year, that's what it's, you look forward to. That's why it's the night you look forward to more than any other of the years. So you can just repeat that terrible joke. It's, it's, it's like uh, the annual airing of Rudolph or Frosty. No. Is that what it's like? It is. My mind did drift a little bit during the uh, during the pageant last night, and I composed a haiku in my head. You composed a haiku while we were at the kids' Christmas pageant. I did. I didn't have any. I didn't have any way of writing it down. It would have been uncouth to take out my phone and type it into notes. So I just had to memorize it, and the syllables scanned. So here it is: school pageant magi, bathrobed and Burger King crowned, coat hanger halos. It's lovely. <laughs> Did I mention that I've learned a few lessons from a few carols over the years? <laughs> you mentioned that, yes. The eighth graders and the kindergartners are the ones who get to dress up as characters as part of this. All the kindergartners dress up as angels. Characters? Well, whatever. All the, all the kindergartners dress up as angels and shepherds. And all the eighth graders dress up as angels or... Um, Joseph and Mary or whatever. But our daughter last year when she was in eighth grade was uh, the star. Which star was she? <laughs> the star of Bethlehem. She was the star of Bethlehem. Not the star of the show. No. While we're on the subject of sitting in church this past Sunday at Mass, we've talked about aisle sealers. It's not, it's not, explicit, it's not exclusive to, to church. It happens at uh, sporting events and things like that. The people who sit on the aisle and, and you know, kind of harumph when you ask to pass them by. 
This week I had not only an aisle sealer, but she was also a kneeler sealer. She had the kneeler down, and when we weren't kneeling, refused to lift it. Oh, that's, so, that's the worst, because when you have long legs like we do, you need the kneeler up during the first three quarters of, of the service when you aren't kneeling. You need somewhere to put your feet. Also, you need it up to get past the aisle sealer right. to get to your seat. So when she's an aisle sealer and a kneeler sealer, it's it's a bad combination. What's interesting, too, because you know people who are Catholic understand what we're talking about. I'm not sure if others do, but you know the, the handshake of peace at the Catholic Mass there was a woman who was sitting like two or three pews in front of us, turned around and was leaning to give everyone a handshake. Give me a handshake. Two pews give, away. Two pews away. Like she wanted to make sure to give us a handshake of peace, which was great. Uh, Lean forward, shook our eight-year-old's hands. And then the people I was sitting right next to, they just looked at me and kind of gave a smile. And you know when people don't want to shake your hand. And I don't know if it's because of a germ thing or just a not being friendly thing, but they just kind of looked and, and said, you know, peace be with you, but g- gave the nod, but kept their hands very close to them as if, you know, please don't stick out your hand because I do not plan on shaking anyone's hand. Sometimes they'll hold up the peace sign preemptively, which is sort of the opposite of peace. It's a, it's also sort of a uh, back off, step right. away. I'm not shaking hands. Like but a Ringo I... Starr, peace and love, peace and love, but back off. Exactly. Ringo Starr is angry. Peace and love, peace and love. Well, that's. Um, I wonder when we're going to get that reprieve. It's usually a two-month reprieve. I don't know if it comes in January um, at our church where they go into the flu season protocol where they take all of the holy water. Like normally you walk in and you dip your fingers in this holy water and you know make the sign across on your forehead. They take away the holy water because they don't want people sharing their germs apparently in that. And they also take away the, the actual physical contact part of the sign of peace. You just look at each other and say peace, but you're sort of forbidden from shaking people's hands. It's well, the flu protocol. Cold and flu season. I think you were out of town the previous week at Mass. The, the priest announced that uh, as diplomatically as possible that somebody didn't want to infect, had a cold or flu, and didn't want to infect the entire congregation by bringing themselves into the church. So they just sat in the what's called the crying room, where, where it's just mostly small children. So, and he said, please don't come. It's not, it's not better to sit in the crying room with kids with poor, uh, poor uh, defense, immunity defenses. It's, it's better just not to come at all. Just, it, you have permission to not come if you are sick. But, but you got, you got the, the uh, back off. I got to my right, the kneeler sealer also gave me the, I had never seen this before, the Magic Johnson no-look shake. She shook my hand. Clearly, reluctantly, <laughs> while looking the other way. She shook your hand while looking the other way. I have not had that happen before. It's it's all manner of weirdness, <laughs> to say the least, when you go to a Catholic mass. Well, that's that's, and this is the least of it. But um, you know, uh, we talked about kneeler sealers. I want to get segue seamlessly to package stealers. Okay. People who steal the packages off your front porch, your front step, especially at the holiday season here, when people are getting packages delivered. And Amazon is now creating dummy packages, I think with GPS tracking to try to catch some of these people. A lot of people have these doorbell cameras now where you can actually see them being stolen off your front porch. Um, I I mentioned this while awaiting a two-week tardy package for our son for Christmas, which clearly isn't going to show up. Just incidentally, this is out of all of the presents that our children will get for Christmas, this is the one present that you purchased. The only present that you purchased 
is MIA. I, I purchased one just this morning, as you well know, in front of you. But but okay, let's go with that. And uh, yes. Oh, okay. Okay, you know which one it is. You purchased it, but I, I clicked on your Amazon account to purchase it. Right. Um, which is, you know. The same thing. Yeah. But a guy from NASA, I saw a video this morning of a, of a NASA engineer who kept having packages stolen, and the police said it's not worth our time to pursue it. And he had them on camera. And so he created this incredibly sophisticated device. We should probably post a link to this at some point where uh, it, it had four cameras in it. And when the person opened the package, it was designed in an Apple box, an, an Apple you know, products box. And when they took it off, it sprayed a, a whirring motor, sprayed glitter everywhere. And, and because he had cameras embedded in this thing, he could see their reaction would upload immediately to the cloud. And so these people would take his package, drive it away, open it in their car, it would spray glitter, rainbow glitter all over their car, and then they would be outraged, morally outraged, that somebody had packed a package that they had just stolen off the front step. That thinking a stolen was an package yes. would glitter their car. And he also had something called fart spray in this thing. This video is incredible. 12 minutes long. It took him six months to engineer this. And it, would, it said one shot of this spray is, induces nausea, but... It was rigged to shoot five shots of this spray at the person. So usually the people were opening this in their car, and then invariably they would throw it out the window or throw it in the trash, and then this guy with the GPS tracking would go find it and put it on his step. He was lending it to friends to put on their steps. And amazingly, some of these packages were stolen within minutes. Some of those Amazon dummy packages stolen within minutes. When we, when I was driving home the, within the last week, I was driving down a street, and I saw an Amazon box in a bag hanging from someone's mailbox. I mean, you're just begging for that to be stolen. You should at least need to put it on the person's front step so that if someone wants to steal it, they have to get out of their car. No, nobody's, no, in- nobody's begging for anything to be stolen. Just don't steal. Well, but no, I'm just saying you make it slightly harder, you know, put it on someone's step so a person actually has to get out of their car. But this one, they could be driving by at five to 10 miles an hour and just roll down the window and still steal the package. Make it a little more difficult. Of course, people shouldn't steal, but people do steal. So make it slightly more difficult. Speaking of packages, I keep reading headlines today. Les Moonves is not going to get his $100 million severance package. And the, the proximity of those, fra- of those words, severance and package right seem to be the uh, both the uh, the problem yeah, and the problem the problem and the solution speaking of solutions um i sent you a link i think to a story this week in our little metropolitan area here about a some kind of fight or an arrest i think at an was it an eighth grade oh it was at an eighth grade game? travel basketball game in west hartford i believe yeah yeah and there was an arrest and, and i sent the link to you and i sent the link to my dad and my dad had uh, replied with with his solution to... Well, well let's give a little background. And, and, and parents were upset with a call by a referee. And so there was some sort of altercation after the game. And, and one of the parents, or, or I think a parent was yelling at the referee. So a different parent started filming this on her phone. And so then the woman who was filming it, another parent got, in with, got into it with her. And, and that was where the altercation came. And these tensions arise constantly. I mean, I was kept the book or board for about 15 games this week, and at least at one of which, an assistant coach was yelling on every play, that's a travel, that's a three seconds in the lane. It never was the case, and the refs kind of just ignored the guy. But you're yelling at 10-year-old kids every time they touch the ball that they just traveled. Right. I mean, of course, he's only yelling that at the other team, not his own team. But my dad texted me back when I sent him this link, 
he's a wise 84-year-old man texting me from Florida. This and could be the, the favorite text that I've ever seen your father send you. He usually sends me fairly brief texts, but something about this link inspired him. He replied, there is no shortage of buffoons who show up at kids' sporting events. In my, quote, perfect world, for a venue to host a kids' athletic game, parentheses, basketball court, hockey rink, baseball diamond, etc., it would be required to have on-site a cage with a lockable door that could hold four to six adults who would be required by a game official to be held in the cage from the time of their bad behavior until 30 minutes after the game ends. If there is more than one perpetrator in the cage at any given time, anything they do to each other is exempt from prosecution. The best part of it is the detail, that the cage needs to be big enough for four to six people. And he's, uh, he, he's, he's got the rules 30 minutes after the game. I mean, this actually could be a pretty terrific solution. He, to he, he sent this to me within minutes of me having sent him the link. So he's clearly thought thought this out over the years. Yes. And I think it is a, is a good solution. In, in European soccer, I've been to matches there and Wembley Stadium in England, England versus Germany, and they hold the, the German fans in their section for 30 to 60 minutes after the game is over so there's no altercations on the way out you know and I think this is a, a kind of a, a nice cousin to that well in high school games too because generally and this wasn't the case I don't believe when I was in high school but now generally the fans sit together you know the fans for the away team sit on one side the fans for the home team sit on the other and that's good because you're rooting for different things and parents are you know arguing different calls from the officials it's it's good to keep people separated we talked last year about the guy who was decided to come and sit in our section and um, just to disrupt the peace and uh i wonder if we'll he was like into that guy again he was like year. the guy in uh in the uh the schoolhouse rock who sits in the he sits on the football side uh, yay, I'm for the other team. Right, Remember that right. So tonight actually is going to be an interesting uh, test for me because our daughter has a basketball game um, and it's uh, against a team where I know a bunch of the girls who are playing and I'm friends with a bunch of the parents of the opposing team's players. And so I just assume, like I have in past years, I will sit with those parents because those are the parents who are my friends. And I want their daughters to do well. I, I want our daughter to do well, but I want those other kids to do well, too. It's not a mutually exclusive thing. I understand one team is going to win and one team is going to lose. But um, while I will be rooting in my heart for one team, I will most likely be sitting with the parents of the girls on the other team. So we'll see how well, we'll see how this experiment goes. This week, your father sat, we sat with him at a high school basketball game where he usually is on the bench as an assistant. My dad is a volunteer assistant for the high school boys basketball team. Um, but they were During playing. games, he sits on their bench. But they were playing... His grandson. His grandson's team. And so that'll be the one game this season where he won't sit on the bench and help coach the game or be a bench coach. But he sat in the stands because, of course, in his heart... He was rooting for his grandson, and so also also in his voice and in his actions. Right, right. But but that was a smart move by him. I mean, of course you don't sit Absolutely. on the other of bench, course. and you know and you, his... you you sit in the stands because for this one game you're a fan and you're rooting for your grandson. So that yeah, the, the, the team that he usually helps coach won. Yeah, and his grandson had a monster game. Yeah, so it was probably for him the best of both worlds. But it was sort of Archie Manning esque, and he has divided loyalties there. Though really he was loyal to his grandson. I forgot to say when we were talking about mass, um, we've been, done a lot of sitting on hard wooden uh, benches this week, either in bleachers or, or in church, but that's kind of what we, what we do. do. Do other churches let their 
churchgoers be comfortable? Is it just Catholics who make you sit in these uncomfortable well, hard some, wooden some, benches? I've been in, was, where is it, uh, uh, OLG in, in Edina, where they have the padded do they have nice seats Pew, Somebody there? does. Because in Florida, in Florida they do. Maybe that's it. But, um, uh, because, you know, they have to. But I've just, if you are a, a non-Catholic churchgoer, let us know if you're, the, if the pews, the seats you course. sit in, let us know if they're comfortable. Because they're not. They're, they're never comfortable at the Catholic church. Of course church. not. And, and to that point, during our mass on Sunday, our 10-year-old said to me in the middle of the homily, and you wonder, you know, are they getting anything? Are no. they are they paying any attention? Where is their mind? What what's going on in the hamster wheel of their mind? Because uh, I know often my own mind is is. Oftentimes, I'll say something to you after mass. I'll say, oh, you know, that the priest had a really good homily, and you'll you'll have no idea what it was because you tend to daydream just like the children. <laughs> well, in the middle of this homily, Tom, our our son, turned to me, and said, looking down at the, he was he was uh, running the zipper up and down on his coat and he said to me this zipper has 200 teeth <laughs> and so i realized he had counted the teeth on his zipper <laughs> kudos and then you responded five minutes later by telling him how many teeth were on your zipper exactly <laughs> the two of you i can just picture next mass i'll look over and see the both of you running your fingers but don't you remember down. in in school like if you look up the ceiling tiles and there were Uniform holes in the ceiling tiles, those perforations, oh, yeah. you know, counting each, all the holes in one tile, then counting the tiles and multiplying them. And you had to do those things to keep sane. I don't remember doing that as much in school, as, but I definitely remember finding a myriad of ways to um, entertain myself during Sunday Mass. If, as, if, as if you were in prison, you would, you would know every number of bricks. I knew, You'd know every... For me, it was I knew the exact roadmap of my hand. Like every like the back crease of your hand, in my yeah. hand. Yeah, but it, this was the front of my hand. Like looking at my palm, I knew exactly, and I would pretend in my head that I was a palm reader and, and what all of these things would say. But yeah, kids find any way to to, uh, to make that hour go by quickly. And forgive me if I've told this on the podcast before, but our friend Mark in New York was waiting in line at Dwayne Reed and uh, a woman in a hurry cut in front of, the, cut in front of him in the line and uh, and Mark, who is a very uh, proper gentleman, he's he's a, the gentleman. He's a gentleman. He's, he's the true uh, gentleman. Yeah. West Point gentleman. Mark said, "Excuse me, madam, but there's a line here," and she turned and put her palm in his face and said, "Talk to the back of my hand," and Mark replied, "Madam, that's the front of your hand." <laughs> and if anyone, if if you were going to describe Mark to anyone, all you would have to do is tell them that story, because that is our friend Mark in a nutshell. <laughs> Yesterday, I was driving, and uh, and I tweeted this, too, but I was waiting at a busy intersection. It's the holiday season, so there's a lot of cars out waiting for the left green arrow, and right in front of me, there's a big, giant pickup truck, and they slept through the green arrow, and I honked my horn, but I honked my horn just in time for it to turn yellow, so they made it through the arrow, but I did not. And it was a bit frustrating, to say the least. You are, you, you are not allowed in a left arrow. We've had this conversation before, but you're not allowed to sleep through the left arrow. And then the I later on in the day, I had an experience, and I was pulling into a Starbucks parking lot. And it's a tough Starbucks parking lot to navigate. But it was kind of funny because there's all different things happening. People pulling out of, the, pulling out of spaces, pulling into spaces. 
And what I liked about this was while all this was happening, Andy Williams' most wonderful time of the year was playing on my car radio. And we've talked about this before, how, how sometimes the, the music you're listening to is the soundtrack of your life or the movie you're in. And, and so sometimes you've got the this, music is ironic. Yes. And you've got, so it was a completely ironic song playing on the radio as I'm waiting for spaces to open up and people doing all the wrong things in the parking lot. They, none of them clearly had a good math mind to understand how to pull out of places, pull into places. But I was not upset in any way way about it frustrated anything because this song was on and I understood the irony and was appreciating the irony and if you had this scene in a movie of just ridiculous parking lot gymnastics that would have been the soundtrack that would have been playing at the time and for the same reason whenever I get on an elevator or whenever I walk into a convenience store I walk into those places as if it's a movie and if it were a movie you would you would automatically hear Muzak or elevated music in an elevator or or kind of a, a soft jazz version of, say, the girl from Ipanema as you're walking into a garishly lit 7-Eleven. That music always plays in my head, even when it's not playing in an elevator, because honestly, how many elevators still have elevated music? Not, not many. Not too many. While on the, on the subject of Christmas, I, I read a story this week, a mall Santa somewhere, his, his grotto burst into flames for some reason, if it was an electrical fire or what, and parents were upset. Are they called grottos? When it's, in this story, when it was called a grotto. Being inhabited by a mall Santa. In this story, it was a grotto. What 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 else would it be? What's Santa's a great workshop. Title for a for a novel. Santa's grotto. Uh, mall Santa's grotto. Yes. Oh, I think Santa's grotto or mall Santa. Both of those would be great titles. No, mall Santa's grotto. It has a different different connotation. Well, Santa's, grotto. Santa's what, grotto. What do you think of when you hear grotto? Well, you think of the Playboy Mansion. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If it's Santa's grotto, you're like, ooh, Santa wouldn't have a grotto. But if it's <laughs> mall, if it's mall Santa's grotto, it gives you a totally different feel of what that novel yeah, would be. But I think anyway, they made that movie Bad Santa. Proceed. With, uh, what's his face? Um, but but so so Santa's grotto <laughs> caught fire for whatever reason, and uh, parents were upset, waiting in line because Santa ran out of the grotto, ripped off his flaming beard, and screamed at the kids to. Get the F out of here. <laughs> he was concerned for their safety. That was my feeling, was he was doing the responsible thing. <laughs> Can you? I have to say this. And, and well, I'm, sure, I'm sure 75% of those kids, and it's been some time since we've taken kids that young to see the mall Santa, but none of them ever liked it. And, and most of those kids waiting in line are terrified. Well, the, the only time I think we ever saw a mall Santa was when our youngest daughter was about three or four years old. We waited in this really long line with one of her good friends um, at the mall. By the time we were, you know, on deck, in the on-deck circle to go see Santa, she just looked at me terrified and shook her head and wanted absolutely, absolutely no part of it. So we didn't do it. But, uh, but. The nice thing about this, of course, a parent would be not thrilled, horrified if this happened because of, you know, everything surrounding Christmas and your child and gift giving and all of that. But it would, without question, be one of the best stories that you would ever tell, that that, that kid would ever tell going into adulthood is and, the time that the Santa pulled off his flaming beard and cursed. I mean, it doesn't get and, much better than that in terms of telling stories. And almost certainly the opening scene of Mall Santa's Grotto, the novel, because <laughs> the rest of the novel, you're just giving the backstory that led up to that moment. I mean, how are you not pitching this as your next book? Mall Santa's Grotto. Well, just the research itself would be great. You could spend, you could spend next Christmas season. I mean, it would be impossible for you to 
gain enough weight to look like a Santa. You could grow the white beard. It happened in real life. But you, I mean, but it, but it would be great to do research on being a mall Santa by being a mall Santa. Well, you know, David Sedaris <laughs> sort of made his career by writing about being a Christmas elf at Macy's. Um, so, and to, and it was everything you thought it might be or couldn't imagine that it would have been right. and more. Well, I think you should take it one step further and uh, and write about being a mall Santa. I think that would be a bestseller. By a, a, a first person participation. Yes, I think that, that would be an integral part of it all. Well, I just came from uh, TJ Maxx, as you know, buying our oldest daughter. If she wears an ugly Christmas sweater to school tomorrow, she doesn't have to wear a uniform. So she asked me if I could. She won't have time tonight. She's got a basketball game. If I could go to TJ Maxx and get a ugly Christmas sweater. But she added in her text, not too ugly. <laughs> well, I, think... I, I said, does that mean a sweater? <laughs> I think you fit within the parameters because it's it's an ugly Christmas sweater. But it's a Christmas sweater. But it's not too ugly. Of a Tyrannosaurus Rex wearing the same sweater. Right. So it's, and she is tall, although she, she's kind of the opposite of a T-Rex. She's rangy, as we would say, um, describing her as a basketball player because she has long arms. She does not have T-Rex arms. She's just rangy. But uh, but other than that, it's a, it's a pretty good sweater for her. So you're saying other than the length of their respective arms, she, <laughs> she looks could... like a Tyrannosaurus Rex and the and the <laughs> antediluvian tail and the and the scaly Yes, okay. that's what I'm saying. I'm saying other than her long arms, she looks exactly like a Tyrannosaurus Rex including the tail. <laughs> Another big development in our house this week. You purchased ingredients. I don't want to call it. It was like a model airplane kit, but for food. Oh yeah, and, uh, what was it called? Well, this is this is not an advertisement. What what was it? it was it was uh, a, a you just go. It's a it's a meal for two people. It's got all the inf- the fresh ingredients in it. Directions. And after all this talk of you know you not being able to cook, you feeding our kids crud when I'm gone, I, I was going to coach and I said here. I know you have time tonight. Make this. And you said it's simple. All you, all you do is follow these directions. So just, Let me tell so you. Here's the ingredients. Follow directions. It says 30 it, minutes it, of prep. It That's wasn't simple. 30 minutes. It wasn't simple. But it was spectacular. Uh, it was a double-sided laminated card. And it had things like uh, mince shallots, or as they say on English cooking shows, shallots. Well, the sh- and, they came as shallots. You had to do the mincing. And I, 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 and you did. I minced well. And so I had to do the mincing. And what did you tell me? So this past year, last year, I'd, I had to cube uh, potatoes. That's not hard. No, it's, it wasn't hard, it's t- but it, it takes time. Let me just say, but and, it's then, not and then hard. you're doing all these things at the same time, and you're putting uh, one timer on on um, the the smart speaker, one timer on the oven itself, one timer in my head. I've got three pots going. There's fire. There's sharp knives chopping. There's mincing. There's a. Uh, uh, a sauce being made. It was. It was like. It, it was. Uh, it was like spinning plates. It was I, chainsaws. I was, I was. I felt like Red Panda on our seven-foot unicycle. I was very proud of you for doing this, but understand right now that you're mansplaining cooking to me. Right. Right. I'm pansplaining you're, you're because pan- I, I did have to fire heat up a pan and and make the yes, sauce. There's fire. There. There's a flame under the pan that heats the pan so that I can after I dice the shallots, I, mean, I can uh, put them in oil and I don't saute them. I don't like, smoke, and I had to smoke a pack of cigarettes when I was finished with this thing. But, it was, but but and I was sweating and exhausted, and then I just wanted like you know to sit in a kitchen with with Gordon Ramsay and Anthony Bourdain and and relive the 
the last, the previous 20 minutes, it was exhilarating. You are, you are such a pathetic creature as you explain this, but you're less pathetic than you used to be. And last year for right, Christmas, hold on, no, okay. no, hold on. Last year I gave you piano lessons for Christmas and you told me that this year your resolution or, you know, not that you really make resolutions, but that this year you were going to what? Cook. Learn how to cook. This one meal in a box has inspired you to I, learn how to cook. And I think that's terrific. You gave me a meal in a box. <laughs> I did. For Put your Christmas, meal in that box. I gave you. Then I opened that box <laughs> and I had a meal in a box. Um, you know what the best part of it was? You know what the best part of it was after I that chopped it was up the, a meal in you know, the after box? I chopped up the shallots and I'm going to call them shallots. Well, what was the best part? Sounds better than shallots. The best part was when you do that thing that you see on TV where you slide the stuff that's stuck to the sharp knife. You slide it with your finger off into the into the pan. The stuff that's stuck on the side of the knife. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. I mean, about. those of us who cook a lot know what, what I that don't, is. I don't normally use my finger for that because you could slice it. Yeah, I normally I, just uh, use like the side of the cutting board. I came so to close to slicing off. Yeah, I don't know Several that of my phalanges. I don't think I've seen any, ever seen anyone use their finger to push that off. Use the cutting board. Um, but yes, I know what you mean, and I'm glad that that was so satisfying as you prepared the meal in the box. <laughs> and it was. I have to say, and I think I can say this without coming off as. Uh, as cocky, it was by all accounts delicious. And when I say by all accounts, it was only my account. The kids couldn't have cared less that this was a perfectly done pepper steak um, with with homemade, pretty much homemade. I chopped up the potatoes, mashed potatoes. That's that's homemade. Yeah, and a sauce that required. At one point, I'd never seen this done in cooking. And, and tell me if you ever have, because I think I may have invented something. Though I was reading it off a card, where uh, before draining the potatoes. You scoop out half a cup of the potato water, and you're saving that later for the sauce. It was unbelievable. Sure, yeah, of course. So I, I hate to disappoint uh, listeners in, for the 2019 podcast, but there may be uh, many fewer frozen microwaved meals. Do you know where to purchase the meal in the box? Also, also I can find it out. Okay. I can figure out which I, I, I And I can tell you. I hear creaking hinges, and there's a musty scent coming my way. That can only mean one thing. It's time to open Denny's curiosity shop when the meets i'm surprised denny had time to come up with the questions this week hasn't he been on vacation traveling in the in the american west i don't know if it was vacation or for work but he has been gone and he sent me a picture so last week i recommended that he go to runyon canyon in la and he sent me a picture the next day from runyon canyon i was supposed to post it on the instagram page and i forgot so i will post that today but Denny went to Runyon Canyon, and he climbed up Runyon Canyon, and he took a spectacular photo of himself up on the top. So um, well done, young Denny. Denny also tells me that he went to uh, Television City in Hollywood, from Television City in Hollywood to CBS, where I believe he took in The Late Late Show with James Corden. He, he gives us no details, doesn't tell us who the guests were, whether he uh, was on camera. Oh, that's but... fantastic. How does he not let us know that? Okay, but what, what does Denny bring to the Curiosity Shop this week? Denny asks, and you can tell he's. I think he was also going to Las Vegas, and and he I was. Would, if we were thinking, we would have had him phone in or record and send to us or to himself an oral account of his trip. I picture Hunter S. Thompson driving from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. I picture Denny in a, in, a, in Barstow in a in a convertible. Picture Denny S. Gallagher driving from yeah. uh, L.A. to Vegas as the uh, as the uh, Coke Zero kicks in, but. Um, to this point, Denny's first question is, how do you guys feel about hotel minibars in the room? I, I find that they are most effective when they're in the room, Denny. 
I, I like the hotel mini bar because on, on occasion I'm lazy enough but thirsty enough that I'll reach in there and grab a water. I, you know, I won't want to walk down to the lobby, so I'll pay a ridiculous amount of money to grab it out of the mini bar. What I don't like is the new mini bars where it's um, it has the sensor in it. So the second the you take sensor, something yeah. out, you you've get got, you've got to, You have to do that, that Ocean's Eleven thing where you put down a, a can of Campbell's soup in place of the... Amstel right, the, the Campbell soup that you packed in your carry-on. So I don't like that those mini bars where if you pick up something to look at it as you're deciding whether or not you want to consume it, um, you get charged. But uh, but overall, I like the hotel mini bar. It's expensive. I rarely, if ever, take anything out of it. But sometimes I'm that lazy that I'll grab a, a drink or a water out of it instead of going to the water. We lobby. should probably look up the statistics if they're even available. But psychologists obviously figure it out for hotel companies how just how lazy and hungry there's some algorithm because at some point all of us have been in a hotel room and have been hungry enough that uh, the $50 credit card charge for the tin of macadamia nuts seems justifiable and it's never it's never worth it to get food or non-alcoholic beverage out of there because it's so much more expensive than anywhere else but I wonder like if you're getting a beer out of the mini fridge it's probably the same price as getting a beer from the hotel bar. Well, like, then, Denny's question okay. is, how do you feel about hotel mini bars in the room? I, I, I prefer them to the hotel bar, mini bars that aren't in the room. If you go to the hotel lobby and there's a tiny bar with a little bartender and tiny glasses. <laughs> a miniature bar and a miniature bartender? Yes. Yes. Well, if there was a miniature bar and a miniature bartender, I wouldn't mind that in the room either. <laughs> Then he writes, in honor of Michelle Obama's memoir, the new Beastie Boys book, and the highly anticipated Knights in White Castle, God bless you, Denny, for mentioning my book, what is one memoir that hasn't been written that you guys would like to read? I know the first one that springs to my mind is, you've read Springsteen's memoir. Not the whole thing, but most of it, yes. I've read Keith Richards' fantastic uh, memoir called Life. Um, uh, Paul Simon has a memoir out. Now, I'm only mentioning musical memoirs here, but uh, I, I like that genre. Paul McCartney has never written his memoir. I don't know that he ever will, um, but I would imagine that he has one or two stories of, uh, of interest. Paul McCartney, you think he has one or two stories of interest? That he's not telling, yes. Yeah, I, I would imagine that would be the case. I'm not sure. I didn't know the Beastie Boys had a... Had yeah, they've a... got a big coffee table, uh, expensive art book out now. I would imagine that's something you might like to read. You're a big Beastie Boys fan, aren't you? If only there were a holiday coming up. That would that gift could be time. a thoughtful gift for someone to purchase. It would probably you. only be stolen off of our porch. That's I don't I doubt people steal books. Why don't people steal books? Is that they undesirable? Are they uh... No, they're just they're heavy and they probably don't have a great resale value. Like if you steal electronics, you can probably resell that resell that somewhere else. Toys resell. I'm just guessing books people who steal don't strike me as big readers. There was the famous Abby Hoffman book, Steal This Book. I don't remember that famous book. Well, I don't remember it because I wasn't alive when it was published, but I do know of it. You're aware of it. I I was not aware of that book, I I don't remember the Korean War, but I do know that it happened. This is when you're at your (laughs) most attractive. (laughs) (laughs) File this under an Uber confession, if you will, writes Denny, but in L.A., you can rent electric scooters through Uber. And when you're done, you just leave it at your destination. The result is a sprinkling of scooters around the streets of L.A. 
that looked more like a suburban neighborhood in any town USA where kids forgot to put their bikes back in the family garage. Have you seen this on your recent forays to no, LA? No, I have not. You haven't you haven't uh, Uber scootered from LAX to the Staples Center? I have not Uber scootered from anywhere to anywhere. This seems dangerous. Well, Denny says, my question to you guys is, do you think electric scooter rideshare could catch on in other cities and town, towns? Personally, Denny writes, I think in Manhattan it would be a disaster. Oh, do you think, Denny? Do you think it would be a disaster? Man, of course it would be a disaster in Manhattan. The the bike shares in Manhattan, I, I, I you not, couldn't pay me to get on. I don't even think in L.A. I, I don't remember seeing separate um, separate lanes on the roads for bikes, which is where I assume the, the scooters would be. So are they on the roads? Like how, I don't have any don't, idea I, I how never, that could possibly be safe. You, you think somebody's Uber scootering up to 405? I don't, I'm, I'm talking about the downtown streets. Like I just, like even in Manhattan, there is the bike lane at least. I don't remember seeing a bike but, but lane the when bike I've been lane, downtown in LA. The bike line lane is an article of faith. It's just a painted line. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't save you from from no, I, I recognize the, the driver that. who's sleeping through the the, the left turn. My arm. question remains in Los Angeles: Where are these people riding their scooters, um, or the these Uber scooters? I, I I don't I don't understand how it works at all. Well, we'll get our our L.A. correspondent Sam Farmer to Uber scooter to the L.A. Coliseum for the next Rams game, and he can tell us if he survives how that experience went. With Christmas a week away, Denny writes, it's time to answer the age-old question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? This seems to be chewed over uh, weeks in advance of Christmas. And I know you're a big uh, uh, yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon fan. I'm a big Bruce Willis fan. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, who really cares? <laughs> <laughs> is I mean, I know it's something that has been discussed, but... Yeah. Um, you know, sure. Let it be a Christmas movie. There's there's Christmas music in it. Well, there there's a Santa hat or two, I, right? I think so my friend, our friend movie. John Walters, I think I saw a tweet in the last couple of weeks that that the Night Watchman or somebody is watching the Notre Dame USC game, so that it's a Thanksgiving movie. So, oh well, there you go. So I mean, it doesn't really matter. I do know that Love Actually is a Christmas movie, and that's one of my favorites. But it has that whole ridiculous like there's one rated movie subplot yeah. that's it's about it's about. 40% too long that movie. No, well just that that storyline is is unnecessary and and makes the movie one stupid. that we can't let younger kids watch. So that's frustrating about it, but the rest of the movie I do like and and I love the the Christmas song in Young it. Denny, Young Denny writes uh, what are your favorite holiday movies personally? Denny says, I'm a big fan of Christmas Vacation. I'll be home for Christmas, parentheses, the Jonathan Taylor Thomas vehicle, <laughs> Muppets Christmas Carol, and Elf. Elf? Our, all of our kids like Elf. Just watched it. The the one movie that I'm looking forward to watching this Christmas, and I was- This I, is unbelievable. Know, this is unbelievable. I and Listeners that. won't believe this. I was I was talking to a friend recently, and our, our 12-year-old daughter was with me while I was having this conversation, and our friend brought up- um, the Christmas Story movie. And a how her, Christmas a Story. A Christmas Story. The movie A Christmas Story and how her kids love to watch it. And I said... As I do as do uh, kids and grown-ups everywhere. Everywhere. And I said, truthfully, I have never seen the movie. I've seen like bits and pieces, very small bits and pieces, but I've never seen the movie. Despite our, it playing on a loop. I know. This time of year and despite our having DVDs of it and whatever else. Yeah. I mean, this. Christmas is also basketball season, so I tend to not watch a lot of stuff on TV that's playing on a loop. So anyway, our 12-year-old said to me, you've never seen A Christmas Story. I said, no. 
so this is this kind of explains our 12 year old as well um i had to go do something that night when i came home sitting on my desk was the dvd of a christmas story our 12 year old got it and put it on the desk i have not watched yet i told her once the kids are done with school at the end of the week we're going to sit down as a family, or at least the 12-year-old and I will sit down and we will watch a Christmas story together. I will watch it, be watching it for the first time. You will. We will have on the TV a Christmas story, and on your lap will be your laptop, and you'll be watching an Oregon Stanford no, this Pac-12 is, this is women's the basketball beauty. game. I, you I, will. I just, no, I, this, I'm just no, stating facts. No, this is the absolute beauty of it this year is I work on December 18th. I'm in studio, and then I don't work again until January 3rd, which is a game UConn at Baylor. So there's going to be a whole stretch where, sure, I'll be paying attention to what's going on and watching things here or there. But watching basketball, will I will not have to be doing any homework during that time. I will easily be able to find time to watch a Christmas story with our family. You had mentioned, you know, whatever the smell was coming out of the Curiosity Shop. I think this time of year, Denny is smart enough to have a cinnamon, some cinnamon potpourri. So you smell, you smell the mold and the must and the mothballs, but in in with that smell is the cinnamon potpourri. But but now we can close Pre- the doors. Prepared by his uh, shop manager, Rusty Hinges. <laughs> Shall we get to our voluminous viewer mail? If it's voluminous, we must get to it. Big bad book, throw our lure, reel us in with your pure mail. Okay, this email came to us from Brian, sent to our Gmail account, ballandchainpod at gmail.com. And Brian writes, Rebecca, you know they don't audit the security questions to make sure they're correct. We talked last week about uh, you were asked the security question to get into one of your own accounts about who is your favorite niece or nephew, right? I was asked who delivered our first baby. They're all questions I did not know the answer to. What street was our grocery store on? I don't know. Well, Brian writes, if you want to say Dr. Gary Siegel delivered your firstborn or is your favorite niece, go for it. Heck, I was helping a guy at work sign up for an EPA website. So when the security question came around, he put me down as his best friend. We're not that close. No, I like the idea of putting Dr. Gary Siegel down for all of my security answers. Like, what street did you grow up on? Dr. Gary Siegel Street. Who delivered your firstborn? Dr. Gary Siegel. That, we could just go on and on. That could be the security. Who was your first grade, third grade teacher? Dr. Gary Siegel. That is how I'm going to answer every security question from now on. Dr. Gary Siegel is the Esperanto of internet security questions. I probably shouldn't be reading this out loud, but Brian writes, Steve. Hold, hold on. And you're going to ridicule me for this later. Esperanto. Esperanto. The universal language that, that never came to be but exists is spoken still by a handful of people. But Esperanto was going to replace – it was going to be the one universal language. Okay. You know Esperanto? Esperanto? I, I, you, I did not know Esperanto. Esperanto, why don't you come to your senses? Okay. Thank you for okay. that. Steve, perfect Christmas gift for your better half. Why don't you get her – should I say this out loud? You're right here in front of me. I'll say it you, out loud. I think you should say it and I can ha- tell you whether or not Having read perfect. the rest of the sentence, I can say it out loud. Why don't you get her, parentheses, and perhaps Holly too – a gift card to a local spa for a day of facials, seaweed wraps, and vocal massages. Have a merry, merry Brian J. Thank you, Brian, for that suggestion. Brian, believe it or not, I have gotten my better half a gift card to uh, to yeah, a local spa or no. at least a local uh, manicure or pedicure place along with, and I think I may have mentioned this before, along with a, a car detailing Gift card. Gift card yes. for the place across the street. So while she's having her car detailed, she could walk across the parking lot and, and have a that sort of spa-like experience. And guess what? 
those cards were merely donations to those local businesses because she never once used them. This You never brought that up. I brought that up as one of your terrible gifts because I had asked you to get me get my car detailed and instead you gave me a gift card so I could get it detailed so I could walk across the street spend 30 minutes of the detail getting my toenails done and then the five and a half hours of of the detail watching other people get their toenails done anyway no, you could watch other people get their cars detailed anyway they uh that that's a nice suggestion seaweed facial wrap you would you would go for that you wouldn't I would I would go for to a spa for a massage, not a vocal massage, how, but a regular massage. Yes. How would if I bought you a gift card to have my face wrapped in seaweed? <laughs> that I would pay for. And then thrown into the ocean. <laughs> this time of year. <laughs> my face wrapped in seaweed by being thrown into the ocean. Yes, <laughs> at any time of year. Okay, uh, we mentioned last week that you're shrinking. You, you've been to a doctor. You've you've shrunk two inches in the last six months. Or I am like not that. shrinking. They tell me I'm shrinking. There's a difference. Well, uh, they're telling me I've shrank one and a half inches in the last year. Josh in Wyoming sends a photograph of you, Josh, and I believe his two daughters. They're wearing hoodies that say "Basketball is my boyfriend," which I love. And Josh writes, "Rebecca, I'm six two, so I would say the nurse was wrong." You are not shrinking. You appear to be at least two inches taller than Josh in this photograph here. I would also add that I never listened to a podcast of anyone until I started listening to Ball and Chain last year upon a return from a dad-daughter trip to Connecticut. 57 episodes later, he's still enjoying the banter. Thank you, Josh in Wyoming. Thank you mostly for confirming that my wife is not shrinking at the alarming rate that we thought she was. This is how I met Josh from Wyoming. Last year, there was a Yukon women's game at the Hartford Civic Center that is now called the XL Center. And the team I coach, the team of 7th and 8th grade girls, we were there because we were going to play on the court during halftime of the UConn game. And we, while we were there, we saw Josh and, and a couple of his buddies and their daughters on a dad and daughter trip. They were wearing the shirt, Basketball is My Boyfriend, and I stopped and talked to them. And we exchanged messages on Twitter, and that's how we became friends, how I became friends with Josh from Wyoming was a chance interaction at the UConn women's basketball game last year. And now for something completely different, as they would say on Monty Python. Kathy writes, I seem to remember Tom Arnold when he was married to Roseanne Barr talking about opening a loose meat restaurant in Iowa. And she sends a follow-up email. <laughs> she sends a follow-up email from 1993, the LA Daily News, a feature about Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr having a house in Eldon, Iowa, where they opened a diner serving their most popular item was the loose meat sandwich for $1.75. So... She's right. I grew up in Michigan. Kathy writes, I never heard of that kind of sandwich, but I do know Sloppy Joe's. Then she sends that article. So Tom Arnold and those loose meat sandwiches we were talking about earlier were an, an Iowa staple. I don't I don't know how you feel about this, but maybe it's just because that's what we called it growing up. But Sloppy Joe sounds more appealing uh, for a food item that I'm going to eat than a loose meat sandwich. Like loose meat does not like something sound like something that I'd want as part of my sandwich. <laughs> we keep getting addenda, not addendums, addenda, is that right? Addenda? We keep getting addenda uh, okay. to our list of favorite Christmas songs. We're always leaving great ones out. And um, so we have, have... I don't think we've asked this, but I, I, I need to talk to Danny. We need to come up with a Spotify, a ball and chain Spotify playlist of, of the Christmas songs that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. But please go. Well, Michael in New Jersey, who uh, describes himself as, as our hand-clapping, comb-overin, tisk-tiskin friend, comb-overin, tisk-tiskin, hand-clapping friend, 
says, uh, classics from Darlene Love and Mariah Carey. See a lot of airtime during this the holidays. One song that you may not be familiar with is Merry Christmas from the Family by the great singer-songwriter Robert Earl Keane. It may not be appropriate for the youngest members of your family, but it's not explicit. Uh, I listen to it. It's a great sort of Texas country dysfunctional family Christmas song. And speaking of Darlene Love, John writes, my favorite Christmas song and possibly favorite song of any type is Christmas Baby Please Come Home as performed by Darlene Love along with Paul Schaefer in the band on the Letterman Show for many years. And I can't believe that we failed to mention that. That is perhaps the greatest Christmas song of all time. And David Letterman from 1986 until his retirement four or five years ago had Darlene Love on every Christmas for close to 30 years to sing uh, Merry Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home, or Christmas, Baby, Please Come Home with Paul Shaver and the world's most dangerous band. I'm going to add one from the Twitter account, which is at Ball and Chain Pod. This is from TJ. It's either TJ Ump Dreams or T Jump Dreams. What do you think? Do you think this person jumps in their dreams or do you think TJ has umpire dreams? I think he has umpteen ump dreams. Okay. So it says, to keep the Curiosity Shop Christmas song conversation going, I offer... Uh, this is a good one. I offer Snoopy versus the Red Baron by the Royal Guardsmen. It's a little obscure, but has always been a favorite in my family. We I know listen it. to this. Oh, yeah. We, we, this is on the radio station that we listen to that plays the Christmas songs. Snoopy versus the Red Baron. It's a terrific one. Our son really likes it. And speaking of songs, uh, we got great reaction to uh, Riding on My Stingray, the Tom, Dick, and Harry original that we dropped on the podcast last week. Uh, one of our correspondents, I think it was on Twitter, I don't have it in front of me, said it reminded him of, it sounded had an America vibe, America the band, not America the country, though I guess a little bit of both. And uh, Tom, Tom, Dick, and Harry, my brother, wanted me to, pointed out to me that that song was written by Jim Eubanks of Tom, Dick, and Harry, a very talented songwriter. Uh, so while Tom does the vocals, Jim gets the writing credits and presumably all of the royalties We've both contributed our 99 cents to iTunes. It's available on iTunes. We I, we asked our smart device to play it. it. It won't play the full song, but it'll play the 15-second snippet. But it's just kind of cool to say, Alexa, play Riding on My Sting- Stingray from Tom, Dick, and Harry. And she'll... She she knows she's aware of it. If Alexa's aware of it, you're in good shape. And uh, she, for some reason, she won't play the whole thing, but she'll play 15 seconds of it. So that's a good way to at least get a little taste of it. I think uh, Denny asked in the Curiosity Shop sometime in the last week or two, um, who is it? Is it Kawhi Leonard who signed a, a shoe deal with New Balance? And we were asking the viability of that. Becky in Maine writes that uh, UMaine Athletics currently has a contract with New Balance. Their student rec center is also called the New Balance Student Recreation Center. Uh, she signs herself day one listener and longtime fan of Rebecca's. <laughs> Smart lady. And our, and our friend Matthew Bartleson sent to our Twitter account a picture of his. He said, I think I'm pretty stylish. A picture of his dongle? No, it was a picture of his stylish New Balance. Because, of course, I was talking about the all white, triple wide New Balance. He sent a picture of the stylish, like original brown looking New Balance. I've got a pair of, of rainbow New Balance running shoes. They're very comfortable. And finally, Renaissance man Dr. Gary Siegel sends us uh, the questions. We had many questions about your doctor's appointment last week. And, um, and Dr. Gary Siegel, in that particular branch of medicine, was able to answer many of them. Rebecca, after your normal checkup in December, Dr. Siegel writes, I can shed a tiny bit of light on a few issues you mentioned. One, why does your doctor not have any 2019 appointments? Rest assured that the dentist and veterinarian offices do have appointments and send reminders. 
probably there are limited slots for annual visits and many open slots for illness problems, illness slash problems, and routine and unplanned obstetric visits in 2019. So your, your hunch was right that the schedule is wide open. They're just saving them for more pressing and, i.e., younger moms to be than and yourself. And more lucrative uh, maladies. I understand. Lucrative maladies. That that would be a good emo band, don't you think? I do. Lucrative maladies. Two. Why isn't the 2020 schedule open? You couldn't get an appointment for 2019, all booked, and 2020 was not yet released into the wild. The answer could be, Doctor Siegel writes, that the computer system only allows appointments so many months in advance, maybe, or that no one has had the foresight to open up. 2020. Makes sense. I appreciate that insight, Dr. Siegel. Foresight is not 2020 in this case, the foresight to open up 2020. Three, finally, and I think the most interesting question you posed, why were you weighed backwards, facing away from the scale? One reason that you mentioned, Rebecca, may well be correct. That is, people don't want to know their weights. Secondly, pregnant women, especially in late pregnancy, fit better if they're backwards on the scale. I I have to say that I fit the same whether I was backwards or frontwards in this particular case. And Dr. Seeger writes, they don't want to know, but really do want to know how much they weigh. It's an interesting construction right there. They don't want to know, but they really do want to know. Right. Would you agree with that? I, I mean, I don't know about other women. When I when I was pregnant, I was always happy to see the weight I was. I, I didn't really worry about that. So, um, But sure, I'm sure some women want to know, but don't want to know. <laughs> but also, this, this speaking of uh, being weighed in reverse, Dr. Siegel mentions, we, we said we don't know. One of the security questions you had was, what is the name of the doctor who delivered your firstborn child? We don't know. Right. We don't know. We don't know. We, we only, she was only in our presence for about five minutes. Dr. Siegel writes that this works in reverse as well. A couple of days after the podcast, he ran into a longtime patient and her family at a local restaurant. The mom got up from the table and gave me a hug, and I shook the father's hand as, a, as I was reintroduced to their 23-year-old daughter, whom I had last seen 23 years ago as a newborn. Just as you couldn't recall the names of the doctors who delivered your babies, your 61-year-old correspondent absolutely could remember to ask, how old is your little sister? That is, I knew that there were two daughters, and what's she doing? However, I could not come up with the mother's name, even though I absolutely could tell you a couple of connections, such as where a relative had worked, etc. When they left, I asked the mom for the email address so she could send a picture of the family to me, and that allowed me to remember her name. Isn't that nice of Dr. Siegel? 23 years later, after delivering this child... He gets the email address and gets a picture. He First, he meets the 23-year-old child 23 years later as, a, as an adult and catches up on the family. Who does that? I mean— uh, I wonder what makes a, a delivery, like, most memorable. I, I do remember when our oldest was born. I, and, again, this was not our OB who delivered the baby. And then after the fact, when, when people—when doctors came to visit, I do remember one of the doctors saying, you know, oh, you have a, a beautiful-looking newborn. And he said, and that's not usually the case. And of course, when babies first are born, especially if it's not C-section, they are, you know, they've been through some trauma and they might be bruised or battered or whatever. They don't look particularly appealing. So I do remember that doctor saying, oh, it's a nice looking baby. And that's not usually the case. But what what do you think like makes a really memorable? Well, Dr. Siegel hopefully will weigh in on this. Um, a memorable uh, birth? I mean, because. Yeah. Like what makes a baby memorable when you're delivering babies all day, every day? What about a baby would make it particularly memorable. We so had Dr. Some, Siegel, that's our question. We you. had someone fly in uh, this past week and I heard your sister say, how was your flight? And and she said, uneventful. And whenever I asked my dad how his flight was, he always says uneventful. And I think a, mem- a memorable flight, like a memorable birth, is probably not something you're 
really not something you want. No, not something you want. Uneventful is is. I mean, it's it's eventful. It's an event. It's the, the most uh, right. memorable I mean, event you I'm have. Not, but, I'm not saying eventful. I'm saying right. memorable. Right. What what would well? Make? I mean, everybody says the most uh, memorable thing in life is you know the birth of your children or or you know your own birthday is is so it's memorable but what makes course, it different you, what makes it unusual no, but what, what makes it what makes it memorable to the doctor to the person who's doing this day in and day out that that's their job is to deliver babies what would make a memorable well he, here's some inside baseball as it were about delivering babies from dr siegel lastly steve he writes your baseball based description of catching a baby is not terribly incorrect he's implying that it's it's incorrect it's just, just not, not terribly, terribly incorrect. Except that we do have to exercise a bit of skill here and there. He's understating things by a bit, but, right. but that's Dr. Siegel. And while we do have a large plastic bag built into the surgical drapes, what are surgical drapes? I don't know. And and where can we get that? <laughs> and do they do they have to match match the carpet? <laughs> can, can you get can you get surgical Venetian blinds? <laughs> Anyway. Anyway, and while we do have a large plastic bag built into the surgical drapes with which to catch the fluids, and rarely a slippery newborn, we do not have to don the tools of, ing- of ignorance a la Buster Posey. So no chest protector, no catcher's mask, no catcher's mitt. Rebecca, you are also correct, writes Dr. Siegel. The nurses do the work. All the best from your humble correspondent. And I think he is uh, being quite humble there in and- saying that it requires just a little bit more work to deliver a baby than, than what I had suggested. It, it, a little bit more work to deliver a baby. And Dr. Siegel, when he says the nurses do um, all the work, I will just throw in there that... He didn't say all no, the work. No, what does he say? He said the nurses do the work. Do the nurses do the work. I will also throw in that the moms delivering the baby, yeah, they do a little bit too. And, 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 and what and about the dads? The dads are the one person in the room who do absolutely those, nothing. Those Doritos that, aren't going to eat themselves. <laughs> the dads do absolutely nothing that could be could not be done if they were not there. The dog is barking upstairs, which means there's somebody at the door, which means Somebody's a package is being delivered, package, yes. and then somebody right behind that person is stealing it. So we should probably go uh, tend to that. But since they won't be hearing us from us before the holidays, let's wish all of our listeners... A very, very Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to this nonsense over the past year. And uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry, Harry, it's time. Play us out. Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane Six of us and the family pet Live in the cuckoo nest Daily grind puts sanity To a daily test Androgynous and ambiguous What we give for a little rest It's day by day just to keep it sane Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.